As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. These are the words of someone who feels far from God, perhaps even feels that he has been abandoned by God, who longs to be in the presence of the Lord. The psalmist reminds himself of the times he has spent worshiping God experiencing God's presence and drawing near to him. And he looks forward to doing it again. Back then, drawing near to God meant you had to go to a temple. So part of his cry for deliverance is, I want to go home again. I want to be able to go to the temple and worship. We have the luxury here of having God meet with us. So can we remind ourselves now of God's goodness to us? Can we remind one another as we sing these songs together. Let us come and experience the presence of the Lord together. Let's stand together and sing. Hey church, as we worship today, <clears throat> actually before that, um, if you don't know your neighbor, or even if you do, why don't you just take a moment to just say hi to them, welcome them. And one of our core values of our church is like we're we're doing this together, right? There's not, um, you know, whether you know them or not, you know, in this room together, unified in one voice to sing and worship our Lord and hear um, the, the, the words from our Father. Um, I just want to welcome you guys. If you guys could bow your heads with me uh, as we're worshiping and praying and listening uh, to God today. I just want to invite you into this place Yeah, this place where we worship our, our, our Lord doesn't need to have, um, you know, your, your previous experiences don't need to matter. You know, your experiences of worship, um, good and bad. Um, but right now in this moment, um, what's important is God wants to meet with us. And we have this amazing opportunity to worship our Father. Um, so if you just want to take a moment to um, allow your hearts to be quieted from uh, the long weeks lot of things on your mind and heart. Father, God, we, we thank you for all that you do. Uh, Lord, you're, you're so good to us in ways we can't possibly imagine the fullest extent. But thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are. Um, Father, um, in this room right now, Lord, help us to our eyes would be focused on you, on the cross, that Jesus would be magnified in this room today, um, and, that, and, and nothing else besides that, Lord, um, that in, in the face of Jesus, everything else melts away, Lord, so be with us, Lord, be with us in this time, God, we thank you, and I pray these things in your son's name.
Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. Oh, come to the altar. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Sing, Are You Hurting? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is called. Are you hurting? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. So come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, and Christ is risen. 
bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, and Christ is risen. Come on, church, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior, and isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, and Christ is risen. And bow down before Him, for He is Lord.
Father, we thank you. Thank you for what privilege we have to worship you. To be able to proclaim Hosanna, Hosanna. Holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. My Father, I just pray that our eyes set on you, our gaze is fixed on you, that that would transform all that we do, that when we see the brother or sister on our left and right, that we would see them, that that very person right there the same infinite love and affection that God has for you, but upon that person, to upon every person in this room. And in one voice, we get to sing Hosanna, Hosanna. Father, thank you so much for all that you do, God. Um, Yeah, God, we're so excited to be here, to hear your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Convict us. Yeah, God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 42 continues. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. the psalmist says he hopes in the Lord and will praise him again. This isn't just looking forward to coming to church on a Sunday. He means going to the temple. He was asking for deliverance, for salvation, for rescue. And he is confident that God will bring him through this battle, this spiritual oppression, this turmoil that he was going through, that he might return home to a place of safety and security, a place where he can worship. Let us come before the Lord in prayer now too, asking for that same deliverance, that rescue, that clinging to the hope that we find in God's faithfulness to us. Father, we come before you today as your people, earnestly seeking your face. Some here among us come with a spirit of joy, of delight in experiencing your blessings of love in our homes, of thanksgiving for providing so richly for us. But some among us, Lord, come as broken and downtrodden people, worn down by illness or grief or crippling anxiety or habitual sin. And we ask for your deliverance, Lord, whether or not we feel like we need it for ourselves, because we are one body and one church, and we care for all those around us. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord, for all those among us who need healing and restoration. And Lord, let us share your heart for all your people, not just for our church, as we pray for those in a broader community who need you 
who cry out for help without knowing where that help will come from. We lift up prayers for the oppressed and the poor, the defenseless and the persecuted, that they would know your peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let them know, Lord, that you are for them and not against them, and that we, as your people, your church, will join with you in bringing your healing, your deliverance, your hope. Lord Jesus, we bow down at your feet, knowing that we are here in the presence of God only through your work on the cross, your death and resurrection, your defeat of sin in the grave. It is on this gospel, this foundation, that we build up our church. Lord Jesus, let us build one another up, build up this temple of God with mutual encouragement, love, and support. Let us fulfill your command to love one another lifting up these prayers for the least among us, for those who have shared their prayer requests with us and those that are suffering in silence. We entrust everyone in our church, everyone here in this room with us and those joining online to your care, to your loving embrace. Holy Spirit, we are thirsty for more of you, more of your presence to rain down upon us today. Lead us, Lord, closer to you, closer to those in our community who need to know that you are near. Let us show mercy and love to one another as we have received mercy and love from you. Come and fill this place, O Lord, that we might see, that we might experience, that we might taste that the Lord is good. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ the name above all names, the name with the power to save. Amen. Let's take a moment, church, to greet those around us. Let us pass the peace in greeting one another and to the people next to you and the people online. Shalom.
So again, we'd like to welcome everybody here today. And especially a big welcome to anybody who's new, who is here for the first time, whether here in the room or online. If you are new to our community, we invite you to reach out to that email. Uh, we have a welcome team that would love to hear from you and love to put you in touch with our small groups, with other people in our community activities, just to get a chance to get to know you better. No pressure, but please feel free to reach out to that email at any time. Uh, a couple of announcements. Today is the first day that we're having God's Garden back here in Armington Service. No cheers from the parents? No, nothing? So hopefully the parents here had a smooth experience checking in your kids to uh, Sunday school today. Um, if you see children in the room, that's actually because they're middle schoolers or high schoolers, <laughs> and we're not, we haven't launched a youth uh, service yet. The youth group of members will continue to worship here with us. But if you have any questions about, uh, about classes or about safety protocols or anything along those lines, please feel free to reach out to Jenny Rowe, who happens to be my wife. Do we have her email on there? No. Uh, but you can ask me, too, if you don't see her today, and I'll, I'll let her know that um, you, have, you have any questions or anything that you would like to bring up with her. We have a softball game this afternoon, and I, th and I think that even if you didn't sign up, you're, please feel free to come out and watch or participate. Uh, we also have a football game coming up uh, November 13th. All this information is on the site, and as the weather holds up, we will continue to have tennis uh, right nearby, right down the street here at Highlands Park. Uh, in the, on Sunday afternoons as the weather holds up. Okay. And one last, uh, one last announcement. So we are no longer passing the plate for offering here, uh, but that's not because offering is not important. It's we're doing it online to make it easier for people. But we want to have people give with the heart of worship. It, giving itself and offering is an act of worship and obedience to the Lord. We hope that people are giving not out of obligation, or out of duty, or because <laughs> people are demanding anything like that. No, this is freely given, and joyfully given, cheerfully given out of, uh, to the Lord for, this, for the continuation of his work as through this church and all of the partners that we support. And we want to give this offering uh, as an act of worship out of the small portion of all that he has blessed us with. So let us take a moment now to pray for that offering. Father, we thank you for being so good to us here in our church, individually and collectively. And we thank you, Lord, for the work that we can do in this church, in our communities, and with one to love one another and to honor you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in a way that we can reach out to our partners locally and globally to proclaim the name of Jesus, to bring hope and care to the lost and needy, and to make disciples of all nations as you have commanded us to do. So, Lord, let us join with you in that work in any way that we can, whether it's in serving, whether it's being called to speak to our neighbors, or whether it's continuing to financially support our church and our missions. Let us do so, Lord, out of obedience, but also with joy and with love. We look forward, Lord, to seeing the mighty things that you will continue to do in within this community and with all the resources you have given us. And let us now commit these things to you, Lord, in the hope that you will continue in your great work and that it is our privilege to join. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. For from you and through you and to you are all things. Amen. And in that light, uh, we are starting a missions moment weekly here in, on our Sunday service. 
as we talk about some of the partnerships that we are doing, both locally and globally. So I'd like to invite Matthew Williams to come up and share this week. Hello, GCCC family, and good morning. Uh, my name is Matthew Williams. Um, you might have seen me on our welcome team here at GCCC. I'm also on our missions ministry. Um, one of our values of our church is to reach the least reached people groups um, with the gospel all over the world. In order to accomplish this, we have formed partnerships um, with teams in Spain, Cambodia, Central Asia, and Southeast Asia. Um, today, we want to give you a brief update on what we're doing with our Spain uh, partners in Spain. Um, they focused on uh, reaching, or th they are focused on reaching the Moroccan immigrants to Spain. Um, uh, their ministries include a community center, camps, and a cafe. Um, while COVID has had an impact on their ministries, they're still able to connect with people in the community. Um, this past week was a registration for people for the next semester of the classes at the center. Um, um, so they've established a new center. Um, the, um, this is an important time for people to meet new people, establish new relationships, um, please be praying for our team there as they begin to share the love of Jesus with the people they meet and teach. Um, one of the unique features of our team in Spain is that they have a diverse mix among the workers from different de denominations, countries, and ethnicities, among them many years of experience doing uh, ministry in different areas. And so one of the things they're looking about doing is, is starting a uh, training site for, for new missionaries, um, for training them, um, just to be able to bring up new um, missionaries in the field and just um, being out there and, and for God's love um, to raise the next generation of missionaries and to send missionaries um, from them all over the places, all over the world. Um, while they are passionate about this new idea, there's still many logistical needs to make this a reality, including funding. Um, would you be praying with our team for the Lord to supply them all they need to pursue his calling in their lives? Um, if you're interested in worrying, hearing about our Spain partners, please join our Europe task force. Please, you know, let me know, let Pastor Jonathan know. Um, we'd love to connect with you and love to get you involved in the ministry. Um, so if you would, would you take a moment to please play, pray with me um, for our missionaries in uh, Spain? Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for just everything that you do with us, um, do for us, um, and just um, please always bring us toward you, bring us toward you, Lord. Um, please bless our Spain partners and all the work that they do to work with the Moroccan immigrants to bring them closer to you. Um, please bl bless them and um, just please bless the work that they do, their training center that, that they hope to be doing, and just please watch over um, everything related to it. So um, we lift up all this in your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hi, hello, everybody. Um, 
Church is great. Um, church is great. And I, I'm just going to put it like a, put another sort of phrase to that. Church is great, uh, especially when you're new, okay? Uh, especially when you're like a new Christian. I know some of you guys are just starting to follow Christ maybe over the last few months, maybe last year or two. And um, like church is great. Like everything is so awesome, you know? Like you meet people who also love Jesus. You're coming here on Sundays and, you know, you, we worship God. We're so encouraged. Like we're um, just having such a great time. Like everything that, like, oh, man, we're having a softball game. That's incredible, you know. Like, oh, man, we get together and pray. How awesome. You know, everything is great. And then um, sometimes after a while, um, then it's like, oh, man, church is, church is not so great. Um, you know, softball is not so exciting anymore and, and whatnot. But um, one of the things I think that comes up as well is not just from our own experience, but uh, from, like, the news as well. And sometimes we read about churches, we hear about churches, we perhaps experience churches ourselves, and, um, yeah, we see a lot of problems. And, um, a lo and some of these problems are related to uh, the church's leadership. Actually, many of our problems are related to the church's leadership. And um, we're going to be talking about that today. Um, there's this... Uh, large, mostly Asian-American church on the campus of the University of Illinois, which has been um, kind of shaken by accusations against its leadership and against its sort of overall church culture over the past year. I think um, many of us here have maybe heard about that uh, or seen the Instagram. But um, I, I've heard its former lead pastor speak um, like a bunch of times. Uh, so when I was a, like a teenager, um, I've heard... Um, him speak at other times. I've, I've spent time with him as an adult, um, and he's a person I've really respected, and I, I think, you know, I think I've benefited from him, even though I wasn't really close to him, or I was never part of that church or anything, um, but just sort of from afar. Um, but the outcry against the church's leadership and culture uh, has been over sort of incidents of sexual assault, perhaps, against a culture of abuse of power, emotional abuse, um, I think an intense and very legalistic religiosity. Um, and I just want to say, I, this is not necessarily a unique situation. You know, over the last 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years, we can find stories of church leadership that is anywhere between, like, pretty flawed to morally bankrupt. And this has left people in these churches um, burnt or perhaps, like, severely traumatized and maybe even um, a feeling that their lives are not just a feeling but um, just devastation like it's not too strong of a word devastation of lives uh, these stories are are many and you know obviously sad and you know I don't I don't think we expect our church to be perfect you know no church no group uh, period is and you know, I would say I've been part of this church, GCC, for more than five years. I haven't been aware of any kind of, like, harmful actions on the part of our elders or board. Um, but, you know, we aspire to grow. We aspire to be Christ-like. We aspire as a church to have, I think, constantly a better church leadership, not just with GCC, but, like, like we're talking about church, kind of capital C. Um, so what does good leadership of a church look like? What does good church leadership look like? 
I mean, I think we can put together a description based mostly on negative examples. Um, like, good church leadership doesn't condone assault. They don't abuse. Uh, they don't gaslight. They're not legalistic, and so on. Um, but today, as we continue to meditate on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, as we've been doing for the last uh, few weeks now, we'll hear how Paul pictures church leadership that is like a church leadership that is genuinely Christ-like. So please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, and that's a passage we're going to be looking at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and um, let me pray for us as we begin meditating on it together. Father God, we pray that you would make us as a church, as a church culture, um, as leadership, both like formal and, and not formal, um, Lord, more like you. Lord, we need this. We really want this, and we want to be a community of healing, a community that is Christ-like, a community of humility, Lord, make us, make us that. Make us into that, Lord. We're wanting to hear from you, and we trust that your word and your Holy Spirit forms us into these things, and Lord, do that in, in us and among us. Please do this, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians 4, I'm just going to start from verse 1. This is Paul's words to this ancient church in Corinth, a city in Greece. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about leaders. If you um, heard, if you, actually uh, online, if you heard uh, Kyung, who's just up here um, speaking, gave us a really good word from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, he, and this is part of the same discourse here in chapter 4 about church leadership. So this is how one should regard us, Paul says, us, like church leaders. As, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards, that is like household servants, like stewards, house stewards of the mysteries of God. And I think when Paul's saying mysteries there, if you just do a quick, we won't do it here, but if you do a quick study of the word mystery and mysteries in the New Testament, it's not like mysteries like who done it, kind of like who, you know, who did that, or the mysteries of like the ocean deep and things like that. We're talking about just mysteries meaning the message of Jesus, something that was hidden for a long time, and now it's revealed this plan that God was going to save the world through Jesus. Okay? We're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things. Uh, I have applied all these things. And again, this refers back to uh, chapter 3. All these things, he's, he's been using these metaphors for what church leadership looks like. One um, this is going back to chapter three. We're just we're just gardeners. Two, we're just builders. Three, we're house stewards. 
I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos, who's another church leader, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, I'm just going to actually stop there. Um, the title of this sermon is A Better Church Leadership. 1 Corinthians 4, A Better Church Leadership. And I'm just going to talk about three things. First, what a, what a better church leadership feels like, looks like. All right, number one, church leaders are just, church leaders are only, okay? And you can fill in the blank, like I just said. It says, we're just gardeners. Like, we build, I mean, we plant, we like water, but God is the one who creates life. God is the one who makes things grow. We're just, we're just gardeners. We're just doing our part. We're just builders building on someone else's foundation. That foundation is Christ. Okay? If we built out of our own devices, it, it wouldn't last. It would just, you know, go to pieces. But because we're building on Jesus, who set the foundation, you know, we're able to build something worthwhile. But it's only because we're building on Jesus. And then here he says, we're just, we're only stewards of a house. We're, we're not heads of house. We don't own the, own the house. We're not heads of the household. We're just servants. We're just stewards. That's all we are. All right. The Bible writers, including Paul himself, they do teach us to have a deep respect for our leaders. You know, and I would say non-Western cultures that have deep respect for older people and leaders connect very easily to Christian scripture here. Like there's something very beautiful about these. And these cultures that connect well to these kind of scriptures about respecting elders also tend to be hierarchical. Now there's a less beautiful side to that. And that less beautiful side includes a reverence for leaders that actually lessens the dignity of non-leaders and also uh, one that takes away a sense of accountability on the part of leaders. And Paul's words here, I think, get at that ugly side. See, church leaders are to be respected, yeah, but they are just something. They're just, they're only gardeners. They're just builders on another foundation. They're just household stewards, servants. They don't, they're not the foundation themselves. They're not the heads of the house themselves. They're not the ones causing growth, making life happen. You know, I do think that when there is a um, failure by a church leader that really shakes a church or a ministry, I think often there is some prior attitude in the church that falls short of what Paul is um, commending here. Like an attitude that our leaders are something not just servants, not just builders, not just gardeners. No, they are something. And when we see our leaders as kind of the heads of the house instead of just servants of Christ's house, when we see our leaders as a foundation rather than builders who, found, who build on the foundation of Christ, as growers of things rather than gardeners who just do their part, but God being the one who actually creates, I think that kind of attitude is is often very present in those kind of situations, you know? And I think we can ask ourselves, are we secure? We're even overly proud, like apparently these um, people in Corinth were, 
because of the church leaders that we associate with? You know, and if so, we're falling short of the better kind of church leadership that Paul is talking about. Our security is in Christ. Our boasting is in Christ. And our ultimate leader, the leader of us all, the head of this house called the church is Christ only. Amen? Amen. All right. If our treatment of pastors who have had, I'll, I'll just keep going forward here. If our treatment of pastors who have had moral failure is merciless, then we have to ask, I think, I think it's really important for us to ask, is our faith sort of puritanical and performance-oriented, or is our faith the good news of God's amazing grace? You know, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what does it mean to be, like, I don't, I've heard this before, like, uh, like, that person's a good Christian, or I'm not really a good Christian, you know? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, does it mean that, like, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't swear, we don't wear jewelry? Like, does it mean that we're better people than other people? Like, we're better people than non-Christians are? I mean, a lot of people think of Christian faith this, way, faith this way, you know, both outside the church and inside the church. But this is not the good news of Christ. It's not. Jesus did not come to make us sort of like these Victorian people who are morally superior to others. He came to demonstrate his amazing love, his amazing grace. You know, what is love? What is love? In another letter, Romans, Paul says it this way. God demonstrates his love to us in this. This is what love is. While we were still sinners, God died for us. Not at our best, not in the, I don't know, not in our most liked social media posts, you know, not when we were sort of hitting our stride, but at our worst, Christ died for us. That's what love is. Friends, a better church leadership always is rooted in that kind of love. The love shown to us in Christ's death for us in the midst of our sin. Knowing that's what reconciles people to God, that's how we stay focused on like Christ alone, our foundation of Christ alone, knowing that Christ is the only head of our house. And so, friends, like, let's let ourselves be led like that. You know, let's not make leaders more than that. They're just gardeners. They're just builders. They're just household servants. All right, number two, church leaders are servants of all. I'm going to keep reading here in 1 Corinthians 4, going back to verse 8. Already you have all, this is, this is going to be just dripping with sarcasm from Paul. Verse 8, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. 
Okay, I'll just pause there. Paul is telling this church who's so arrogant, he uses the phrase puffed up, who, who are taking pride in who they associate with and leaders, church leaders they associate with. And Paul's just kind of ripping apart um, those notions here in these couple chapters. He says, you're so rich and we're so poor. You know, you're like kings and so you're so wonderful and strong and so honored. You know, he's being very sarcastic. And he says, us leaders, on the other hand, this true, like, genuine leaders, like, we're like people on death row. We're a spectacle in the Roman Colosseum where people have come to watch us die. You know, we have bad reputations, you know, and, like, like actual bad reputations, not sort of in the good Taylor Swift kind of way. You know, we're not highly thought of. We work with our hands. We have shabby clothes. We're mistreated. We are like the scum of the world. That's, what, that's how he literally ends it. We are the scum of the world. We are the refuse of all things. And I think you can translate that word refuse a lot more colorfully and perhaps accurately than, you know, that, that translation we're using, refuse of all things, you know. What does genuine Christian leadership look like? Well, to Paul, he says it doesn't look that beautiful, at least superficially. It's not material prosperity. It's not perfect health and skin and jet black hair. You know, as much as I, like, I want that. Some church leaders might, you know, some churches might be, like, good-looking or might have high-paying jobs or whatever other trappings of superficial beauty. But that has nothing to do with their actual leadership. You know, can you turn with me, actually, to Mark chapter 9? Mark chapter 9. This is a story about Jesus and the 12 disciples. You know, by the way, if you didn't read the Bible, you might think that Jesus is disciple, these 12 disciples, because, you know, they're so important and you know, the leaders of the early church, and they followed Jesus so closely. You might think they were, they were so fantastic. They must have been so righteous and humble and such, you know, good listeners to Jesus. But if you read the Bible, especially Mark, man, these disciples are terrible. They're awful. And here we go. Um, chapter 9. I'm just going to read verse 33 to 35. And they, that's Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he was in this house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So apparently they were having this big discussion on the way there. So what were you guys discussing about? I mean, Jesus knows, but um, he's, he's just kind of starting the conversation. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I'm just going to skip over one chapter. It's just staying in Mark, Mark chapter 10. And I'm just going to read, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It starts in verse 35. I'm just going to read the end of it from verse 43 to 45. But it's another, it's not the same episode. It's another time. There's a chapter later. They're arguing about the same thing. And this is Jesus' answer, verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is, I myself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what, like, this kind of leadership that Jesus is describing here, this is better church leadership. I think it squares really well with what Paul is saying here, too. Um, I think I, I shared this recently, but I was listening to a professor's lecture once when I was in seminary. This um, person named Dr. Osborne, he passed away a few years ago. Um, he's great heart. Um, and this one time he was talking about Jesus, uh, talking about um, 
these kind of issues. Who is the greatest in God's kingdom? And this professor, he said something like, when Jesus returns and all things will be revealed and judged, the greatest in God's kingdom will not be people whose names are on the spines of books. The greatest will be people you've never heard of before. And, you know, like, I don't know. He's just speculating. I don't know if that will turn out to be the case or not, but I think that way of thinking is actually very Christ-like and very Paul-like in this chapter. You know, I think one of the most consistent failures of the church of recent times, like capital C Church of recent times, and maybe throughout its history, is like a celebrity culture of the church. Like the fact that there is sort of this industry of church. Like musicians trying to get famous for worship songs. Like for, I mean, think about that. For songs to the Lord. Writers, pastors, speakers, you know, like our church doesn't have a physical building. And um, one small reason of many that I'm glad about that is that we don't have to sort through the mail. Because I know, and I say this from experience, I know we'd get so many flyers and ads for like Christian conferences or pastor conferences. Come to this conference because such and such leader of this huge church is going to be speaking. Like here are the headliners. There's headliners. Here are the headliners for the pastor's conference. Look at this headshot of this pastor. I mean, like, would they send that flyer to Jesus? I mean, I know this is kind of a silly scenario. Like, he's not here, but, you know, like, I, I don't know. Would, I mean, if Jesus saw this flyer, would he be like, wow, I got to go to this conference. You know, we better listen to these leaders. We better listen to these guys if they have best-selling books. You know, wow, this person has a huge Twitter following. Like, I heard they were on Jimmy Fallon. Let's, let's make sure to go, you know. I... I but that's very, it's a big part of, like, the church world. Let's not get sucked into that culture. Amen? You know, church leaders aren't what we boast about. They aren't what we build our faith on. They're just gardeners, builders, household servants. And a better church leadership is full of servants of Christ and, like him, servants of all. That's what church, a better church leadership looks like. Amen? Okay, if it doesn't look like that, if it doesn't smell like that, if it doesn't, if it's not like that, yeah, that's not good. All right, it's not like Paul. We got to pray. All right, we got to change some things, all right? Okay, third thing, better church leadership. Church leaders are fathers in the Lord. We're going to finish this chapter here. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Okay, he's like, I know I was being super sarcastic, but look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to speak to you as beloved children, you know, because that's what fathers do. Verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. That's not literal child. Um, I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, just like you are my children, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, <coughs> sorry, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I just want to say one thing about this. When we think of fathers, we might think of a lot of things. We might think of like a provider. We might think of someone who's very loving. Or we might think of someone who's very hard to please. Maybe we think of abuse. Maybe we think of, I don't know, someone who cheats on my mom. There's a lot of connotations, good and bad. And we often bring that into our worship and into our reading of the Bible. So God our Father, like when we address God our Father and when we read that, it can mean for us, we just sort of import these meanings. Like, oh, that just means that God is a generous provider. Or like there's an image that I can sit on God's lap and be safe, you know. Or negatively, it can make us actually hard, make it hard for us to get close to God because, you know, what we import are this, are images of like aloofness or let's say emotional disconnectedness when we talk about God our Father. But when the Bible talks about God our Father, or when it talks about fathers generally, what is it talking about? Like, what does it mean to connote? Well, I think it means a lot of things, but one thing that's really central. One idea that's huge for us to know when we read Father in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is that children imitate fathers. That's what fatherhood looks like. This is what being a child looks like. It means you imitate your father. That's like a central part of father. Like it, that's what Jesus says when Jesus says, God is my father, God our father. It's because he imitates him like Perfectly, completely. Paul here is talking about being a father to the church. And I think the big takeaway is in verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So better church leadership, this is my third point, church, a better church leadership, it looks like fathers in the Lord. Fathers in the Lord. And that doesn't mean you're male. Okay. Fathers in the Lord, people we can imitate as they imitate Christ. Um, I can say that I have had some fathers in the Lord that I'm really thankful for. Actually, uh, there's one father in the Lord that I would say I have is that someone I've never met. Um, so it's this person that was a pastor that my parents knew like a long time ago. Actually, I think bef oh yeah, before I was born. Um, for just about a year in the city of Chicago. Um, apparently, my dad just went to the church every so often. They lived there for about a year in Chicago, and my dad just went to this church every so often, mostly to pray because they were kind of under pressure with money. There's just common immigrant struggles. Um, he, he would say he was not really following Christ at that time, but apparently the pastor of this small immigrant church was really caring, and my dad has told me the story more than once about how when he moved out of the city, the pastor came at like 5 a.m. to see him off and to pray for him. And how, like, my dad talks about how he had this beater of a car and had like five kids all in the back seat. And how he wasn't a good preacher, um, but he really lived, lived the life. And actually, um, when I was seriously thinking about going into pastoral work, um, you know, uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was kind of considering it, this is what my dad said. He said, if you're going to go into pastoral work, do it for real. And what he meant by that was he was like, I, I've known, I've seen, or I've experienced, you know, maybe from afar, but I've seen people who are pastors who are just as worldly 
and not in a positive way, but like worldly in a negative way as anyone else. You know, they're, they're just trying to climb a ladder. They're looking for wealth. They're looking for fame. They're looking for prestige. They're looking for influence. And if, if that's what you're going to do, don't do it. So if you're going to become a pastor, like do it for real and know that you're saying goodbye to those things. And he was like, let me tell you again about this pastor I knew in Chicago. And he said, if you're going to be a pastor, be a pastor like that guy. And so, yeah, so I took those words to heart. And that person whom I've ever met, like, he has been a father in the Lord to me. And, you know, like, I've tried to imitate him. You know, I know legally I can't, I can't put that many kids in the back seat anymore, but that's the kind of heart I want. You know, because when I think about his life, I mean, that's the kind of church leader I want to be under. And when I read this letter of Paul's about a better church leadership, it matches up. You know, I, I hope and I think there are many fathers in the Lord here, like in this room or online. People others can feel good about imitating as they imitate Christ. That's great. You know, the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's not about being impressive. It's not about fancy rhetoric. It's not about good sermons. It's about power. It's about Christ-like life. Amen? Church, let's aspire to be a culture of, you know, of leadership like Paul talks about. Let's aspire to a better Christian leadership. Let's pray for our pastors, our elders, our board, our small group leaders, and on and on. For our leaders who don't have titles, you don't have to have a title, be a leader. You know, pray for them. Because they're just gardeners, they're just builders, they're just servants of a house. Pray for them to be fathers in the Lord. People you can imitate and find yourself being drawn into the life of Christ through. Pray for Christ's body. Let's pray for his church beyond GCCC, like for our church, but also beyond. Let's pray for Paul's letter to be heated, you know, anew, afresh. Like, we need that. Our church needs that. Can you pray with me? Uh, I'm just actually going to ask you just for a moment. Can you think of some leaders in our church? Um, If you're new, I mean, you can just pray for leaders sort of generally. I invite you to do that. And just ask God, like, God, help these people to be people like Paul. Help these people to be like fathers in the Lord. And we can also pray for our church culture. God, let's not make these leaders out to be more than they are. Can we serve you together, Lord, in your house? Let's pray that way. I'm just going to give you a moment. You can just use your own words. Um, They don't have to be super eloquent or articulate. Just God knows. God sees. God hears us. I'll just give you a moment, and then after a moment, um, um, I'm going to pray again.
God, you say that you're head of the church and you call the church your body. Lord, we really want to be a beautiful body for you. And we pray at the level of leadership, you know, at just at the level of our, our church culture, both here at GCC as well as in our larger church. us when we take uh, this bread, when we take this cup that we call communion, he invites us to see the Lord, remember the Lord, and thank the Lord. Yeah, so as you come up and take the elements, uh, we're going to ask people who are sort of toward the front, you can come up, up here to that kind of high top table um, to my right, and if you're in the back, you can go to the long table um, in the back there. And just receive the elements, go back to your seat and eat and drink, but as you do that,
of Jesus, from age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus, from age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end.